in preparation for today's message. We shall be reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 26 to 28, and chapter 8, verses 1 to 6. Again, that is Hebrews, chapter 7, verses 26 to 28, and chapter 8, verses 1 to 6. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who has no daily need, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people, because he did this once for all time, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Hebrews 8. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle which the Lord set up not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it is necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, he says, that you make all things by the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry to the extent that he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. Good morning. Our God is good. It's good to be here once again and to see your faces, or at least half your faces. Um, Christ, perfect high priest. Now, when we talk about priests, we're not talking about the priest that we know in a particular religion. We're talking about a priesthood that was first introduced in the Old Testament. And that was the basis, the shadow. That's the shadow of what was in heaven. And the shadow of who was to come, who is Jesus Christ. And Christ being the fulfillment of that. Now we will study that there was only one high priest who is perfect. And has finally done it. Has finally finished it. That's why even though the believers are considered, all of us, a royal priesthood, none of us would like the title priest because that is reserved to the high priest and we no longer use that as honorific. In fact, I don't like honorific titles when it comes to spirituality. And that's why I try to tell most of you, call me brother, I am descriptively your pastor, that's my function, but honorifically, I do not like it. I prefer you to call me brother 
or kuya. I'm just saying my preference. But some of us are so used to tradition that we often forget it, even though I have mentioned it like so many times right here. Let's go to the sermon. God's purpose for the earthly priesthood and the tabernacle in the wilderness was to show a glimpse of the heavenly reality. It provided clues of the coming of the Messiah. But the Old Testament ceremonial laws was just a shadow of things to come and a shadow of another reality. What did we read? That the tabernacle that Moses made was a copy of what was in heaven. There is a tabernacle in heaven. And if you don't understand tabernacle, you have to read the book of Exodus to understand its introduction to the Jewish people or to Israel. And also go back to our sermons in Exodus. Now Christ is the substance. He is the fulfillment of the ceremonial law and the prophecies. And one day, if we go through Isaiah, God willing, we will see the amazing number of prophecies fulfilled in Christ. We're not talking about predictions like the Nostradamus predictions, which are not very specific. Though perhaps some of them might be so, some might be close to specific, but Christ fulfilling so many, at least a hundred prophecies. Can you imagine that? What are the chances of he would be born in this place, that he would also come from Egypt, that he would suffer for his people, and even the specific areas fulfilled in Christ. That's why he says he is the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. The law, specifically the ceremonial law, but also the moral law in the sense that God would write his laws in the hearts of those who believe. And that is the new covenant which we will discuss a week from now or two weeks from now. Christ fulfilled the prophecies. The author explained the spiritual reality to the Jewish community. To what? To prevent them from making foolish decisions. Like what? Like rejecting the claims and promises of Christ. The writer also encouraged them to believe in God's oath in Christ. And that the Jewish believers would exercise faith and endurance. And we preached on this. We taught this a few Sundays ago where their author was encouraging them to endure and to have faith. Well, we must have faith and we must endure as they should. For why? For why would they fall away from Christ, who is superior to Judaism in every aspect? And that's the theme of this book. In every aspect, in every major aspect, Christ is greater. And we can apply that as we have been preaching. Christ is greater than any religion, than any man. Even the Old Testament laws and prophecies. Why would they risk not being restored to repentance? And there was a dire warning that those who have fallen away, when I say fallen away, committed apostasy. And when we say committed apostasy, those who denied Christ publicly, those who deny his claims publicly, it is impossible to restore them again. 
Please do not be stubborn in your interpretation. When you see the word fallen away, I keep saying this is apostasy. This is not some kind like you fall into sin and you cannot be restored anymore. If you come in repentance, he restores you. But if you deny him publicly, as Christ said in the Gospels, in the four canonical Gospels, you'll find them, that if you deny, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. That was explicit. And I believe the author is tying it there. That he who is ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of him before my father. But if you commit a sin and your heart is broken about it, and you repent of it and come humbly before God asking for forgiveness, you can trust and believe in his Forgiveness. Again, when we say falling away, it is not one particular sin. It is the sin that denies him publicly, that says, I have nothing to do with that. And he is, I, I, I am not connected to Christ. He is not Savior. He is not Lord. His claims are false. Once we come to that level, saying that the claims of Christ, being the Son of God... The claims of Christ that he offers eternal life. Once we come to the point and that is dangerous. That is the dire warning. So do not be quick to conclude my friends. If you think you're an intellectual then engage intellectuals who also believe in Christ. If you do not believe in Christ. For why should you read only one part? For why should you only focus on a few? Why not focus really study it as it is? Does it mean you don't believe in the resurrection? Does it mean that these prophecies are a sham fulfilled in Christ Jesus our Lord? Does it mean that the testimonies of the apostles are false? Those who have seen him with their own eyes. Those who have witnessed the resurrection. And it's not only in the biblical records I'd like to say. Even in the historical records that is not in the Bible. They would write that there were many who claimed that they saw Christ alive. Alive again. And that is not just historically in the Bible but also outside. And you could read the historians, the recordings that there were people who claimed it and they saw it. Why risk why would they reject salvation? Why? Why would they test the patience of God with unbelief? So that was the warning of the author. Why test God? So he comes to the text right now in chapter 7. I included part of chapter 7 verse 26 all the way to verse 6 of chapter 8 because it's, it, the context fits nicely. Take note, these chapters were made by men before the Bible or the books of the Bible had no numbers. Okay, then suddenly uh, one bishop thought, maybe I'll just put chapters so it's easy to find. Then uh, after a while there's this printer. He's a scholar, but not a New Testament and Old Testament scholar. He said uh, he has a printing business. Why not just put numbers? And he put numbers on horse ride. Well, I'm not saying he was horse riding. He was in a carriage and he was traveling from one place to another. And, uh, and imagine the roads there. So he just put numbers throughout without consulting any scholar. And he came out with a printing. Thus, we have the numbers. And the numbers and the verses is a great help for us, but also a great disservice. 
How is it a disservice we learn to take things out of context? Before, we would read the whole book and study what is the intent, what is the story, what is he saying to us. Now, we pick verses outside here and there and connect it from different places. Thus, false teaching abound. That's why I believe every true church of Christ should should practice expositional preaching, which is what? You study the whole book, you preach the intent of the author, which is the inspired word of God, and we study to try to get as close to them as possible, as close to the intent as possible. Some is very simple, some it's gray, some is really difficult to study, and that's why we study. That's why we study. So I say to you once again, brothers, let us believe in God's word. But when we study it, let's study it chapter by chapter or at least idea per idea, all connected. So that's why the theme of the book is very important. That the author was really warning them and explaining to them that Christ is better. Christ is greater than Judaism. Now, how does that apply to us? Then that's the question we ask after we understand the world of the Bible, after we understand the thoughts of the author, after we understand those who received those letters. What was the situation? What decade was that? Once we understand that somehow we get closer to the intent of the author, but if we will be lazy, let it be warned that you might fall into false teaching and you might think it's minor a little minor false teaching consistently makes still makes you a false teacher so let's go to the points of of chapter 7 verses 26 to 28 let me read god appointed his son with an oath christ was superior to the earthly high priest who had to sacrifice for their own sins Christ was holy, sinless, and exalted above the heavens. Let's read verse 26. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So there's this part reminding us of of the earlier chapters where he is exalted and seated at the right hand of the Father, which is the highest place of authority and the highest place of execution. Christ is better than the earthly high priest. Christ does not need to sacrifice for his personal sins because he is blameless. He is blameless. The earthly high priest had to sacrifice for their sins and the sins of the people. Christ sacrificed for their sins once and for all. He sacrificed for our sins once and for all. That is why we look back at what he did. The Old Testament people who received the prophecies looked forward to the coming of Messiah. We look back to what he did once and for all, sacrificing himself. Verse 27 who has no daily need like those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Because he did this once for all time when he offered himself. When he offered himself. And we know he is the perfect sacrifice as well. I'd like to jump to verse 3, chapter 8. Verse 3, let's jump there. For every high priest is appointed to offer 
both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that the high priest also have something to offer. Now, let me share to you that the law appointed men as high priests. Okay? They appointed. What did the law say? It should be a descendant of Levi. It should be in the clan of Levi, in the tribe of Levi. It should be Aaron and his sons. And uh, that is according to the law. But God appointed his son with an oath, like Melchizedek was appointed by God. God appointed his son with an oath after the law. Take note, before there was no mention of son of God. The title was given when he was born on earth. Before he was, according to John, he was called, considered the word of God. John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. The play of the Trinity, the play of words describing the Trinity where the word was with him, and the word is God himself. And the word became flesh. When the word became flesh, the new title came, Son of God. So this Son of God, meaning in an earthly body, he had to live in an earthly body, and that earthly body would be perfected in the resurrection. That's why he was made perfect, and he was appointed by God after the law. The law was given during the time of Moses, and after that, until the word became flesh, then what happened? Then he was made perfect forever. Let's read verse 28. For the law appoints Men as high priests who are weak. But the word of the oath, meaning God's oath, which came after the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. And that is the beauty of the resurrection. The beauty of the resurrection is this. It is a new kind. Oh yes, it is the word of God that became flesh. He died. He died Yes, he's God positionally, but he took the form of a servant, being a man. And he experienced the sufferings of a man in his death and suffering. So that when he's resurrected, the earthly body was also resurrected. So he wasn't just a ghost or a spirit that floats everywhere. The body was resurrected. It was given a glorified type of body. And such is a promise for all who believe in him. That one day our dead bodies or your ashes somewhere will come together again. And form you and your spirit which is in heaven will be reunited. Now the main point. The author mentioned a main point. And when... when when somebody says, this is the main point, stick to it, all right? Don't focus so much on the minor points. Some people study the Bible focusing more on the minor points, belaboring endlessly the minor points. It's the major points. The right, even husband and wife, uh, belabor such little points that the relationship suffers because some points are very little to fight about, yet they want to fight about the little points. I'd rather say, find the major and deal with it, discuss it, and humble yourself with one another. Talk about it, but 
on the many minor points. Allow the beauty of the differences between both of you. Forgive me, that's a segue. Still a hangover of last Sunday. Uh, <laughs> last Sunday's sermon. The main point, Christ sits at the highest authority. And he is the high priest in the heavenly tabernacle. He has a more excellent ministry than Aaron's priestly line because he is the mediator of a better covenant. We will read verses 1 and 2 and then jump to verse 6. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest. You know, he had to say the main point because he spoke so too much of Melchizedek. You might have lost the main point. So after saying a lot of things, we go back. This is the main point. You know, that's why when we present sermons to you, we have one, two, three points. Why? Because preachers, we preachers can be undisciplined sometimes. We go into different places. But if we have a point to come back, we are disciplined to come back to it and discuss it with you. Now, the author has that way of organizing his manuscript. And he's saying the main point is that what has been said, we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. See, the high priest is also a king. Before in the Old Testament, the Levitical priesthood, they were the uh, priestly line. And Judah was the kingly line. So it would be the descendants of David, the kingly line. Now, uh, he's saying, hey, look, uh, uh, this high priest is not just a high priest. He's also the sovereign God. He's sovereign. So there's a unification of not just, so Christ is also known as prophet, priest, and king. So the, tr the, the three parts of Israel's community, there's the king, there's the priesthood, and there are the prophets. Now Christ, is, it, it is all embodied in Christ himself, prophet, priest, and king. So here, uh, the mention is more of Christ as priest and one who sits at the right hand in the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Verse 2, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord set up, not man. Now, he's making a differentiation between what Moses set up and what God set up in the heavens. So, he is a high priest, a minister in the sanctuary, in the true tabernacle. Now, the main point is that Christ, the perfect high priest forever in the heavenly tabernacle, is the mediator of a better covenant which has better promises. Let's jump to verse 6. Yes, he is a high priest seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, but not only that, he's the mediator of a new covenant. And then the theme of the new covenant will be discussed by the author. And I'd like to say to you, this is very important to our understanding. And we should what? Experience the new covenant. We have to know it and experience it. It is an experience that happens within your spirit, within your heart, and within your mind. And I'd like to say it is God-initiated. It is supernatural because man cannot do it. And such there will be the discussion about the new covenant the main point, there is a better covenant. There is a new. There was the old and now there's the new. And the author was saying that to his audience. Focus on the new, not on the old. The old was just a shadow. 
Third point, the author explained that the priesthood and Moses' tabernacle was a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. God instructed Moses to construct the tabernacle according to the pattern that he showed. Do you know that he kept saying that, God kept saying that to Moses? Be, let me paraphrase. Be careful that you follow every measurement. That's my paraphrase. Be careful that you follow the pattern. There is a pattern because there is a heavenly reality. Verse 4, let's read verse 4. Now, if he were on earth, Christ, he would not be a priest at all. Why? He does not belong to the Levitical uh, uh, tribe. His earthly tribe is actually Judah, the kingly line, since there were those who offered the gifts according to the law. Now, if it were according to the law, Christ would not be a high priest. Again, the law did not appoint him. He's not Levi, under Levi. He's not in the bloodline of Aaron. Uh, but the tabernacle on earth and the Levitical priesthood, the tabernacle in which the priesthood served was just a copy. That's what the author was saying. And the word he used, it's a shadow. It's a shadow. Well, it's just like us. We have a shadow and there's us, right? Now, your shadow, sometimes when I see a shadow, you can know who, who that is, depending on their shape, correct? So, oh, I know who that is. You'd see the hair. That's him or that's her. But that's not the real person. The real person is the substance, not the shadow. So when we keep saying that he is the substance, it means he is the reality, not the shadow. So... I keep telling others, which came first according to scripture? The spiritual world or the physical world? Well, God was first. Well, no, God wasn't first. He was eternal. He's eternal. So the spiritual world existed. And then he commanded the world to happen. God is a spirit, the scripture says. So my friends, you think what you're sitting on is real? The spiritual world is more real than that. You think you're real? No, you're a body. And your soul is within you. Without the soul, your body decays. Your body fails, the soul leaves as well. That's why in a funeral, you see the body of that person, but you know he's no longer there. But somehow you find a connection when you see the body. And somehow you want to talk to the body, even though he's not there anymore. Where is he? Well, Hebrews will speak to us about that. And after a man dies, he faces judgment. Therefore, he is set aside until the last judgment. Let's read verse 5. Who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was sworn by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, for see, he says, that you make all things by the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. Follow it. It's a shadow. Application. Number one, understand the difference. Understand that the earthly priesthood and tabernacle was a mere copy of what is in heaven. Thus, we do not look to the Old Testament ceremonial laws Instead, we focus on the fulfillment, Christ himself. Oh, come on, pastor. Do you have to say that in the application? Oh, yes. 
Because I know some Christians who don't understand Hebrews who fell in love with the Old Testament becoming more Jewish in their tradition. Uh, there's more attention in creating the replicas of the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and others and, and the traditions rather than understanding that that was a copy. That was simply a copy and the substance is Christ himself. That's why I have to say this so that your minds will be protected when you meet these kinds of people. The focus is what? On the scriptures in Christ. Now, the failure to understand the truths of Scripture will lead us to the wrong way of living. So, if you ask, what has this to do with my practical life? Then you misunderstand Scripture. Scripture is not just about your practical living. It's not just about your morality. It's not just about God meeting your needs. Oh my, if your Christianity is about God meeting you at your needs, wow. You misunderstand, though God provides for our needs, gracious as he is, and but that is not the focus of being a disciple. Being a disciple is being a follower. Being a disciple is being an advocate. Being a disciple is being an apprentice and applying what we learn. Being a disciple is one who spreads the teachings of his teacher or master. Then you miss the point. If your ministry is focused more on meeting needs, meeting needs, meeting needs, you miss the point. Is that part of it? Of course, but that's never the focus of it. The focus is Christ and Christ himself. And if this bores you, I feel sorry for you. I feel pity for you. What? Then this is not necessary. So when you study Romans, you only study 1 to 11, uh, I mean 12 to the end, and 1 to 11 is useless. <laughs> if you think that's useless, if you think the theology of that is useless, you will end up in the wrong way of living and believing. Belief gives birth to action. True belief, true faith gives birth to action and obedience. But with, when this is messed up, it cannot lead you. How do you address Christ now? If you don't understand this, oh, he's just like one of these other gods. There are many ways to God, and he's one way. Christianity is about being good, right? No. 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 It's part of it, but it's not about it. So hear ye, hear ye. Here in our community, the focus is Christ himself. We are disciples who follow him. We are his disciples. He is our center. Oh, he died for us. He made it about us, but for us, it's about him. So if you come here just looking for what? What are you looking for? You're truly looking to learn because you're a disciple? Because you want to know the one who saved you? Because you really want to know the sovereign Lord 
although he was sovereign, sacrificed himself? If he is the focus, amen. Praise the Lord. That's why the key elements of the gospel is about Christ. His suffering, death, and resurrection. And the response is what? What did he say in Luke 24? That we repent of our sins. Preach repentance. Proclaim repentance. That they turn away from their sins. We have to get this right in our heads. And in our hearts. If you come here because it's your tradition that every Sunday you hear a little, a little something spiritual. So that you can go back to your business the rest of the week. You're missing the point. If you come here to listen to God's word and then live a carnal lifestyle outside. And even defend it. Not even be convicted about it. You're missing the point. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, well, Bible, that's good part of life. It's, it's a good guide. Guide? Yeah, it is a guide, but it's not just a guide. It is the Word of God. Guide. Nothing wrong with the word guide, but that is not the main thing. Then some of us make it worse. What? We teach them what? We have misrepresented the love of God to this generation. Misrepresented it. Whenever you quote John 3.16, do not forget this, the next verses. Teach it by context. For he who does not believe is already judged. What does that mean? Eternal damnation. Don't forget that, please. So we have to understand the scriptures. Let's understand the difference of the old covenant and the new. Let's understand the substance who is Christ himself. And the shadow, it's different. They're just a shadow. Number two, believe in the mediator of the new covenant. There's a new covenant. Believe in Christ and receive the blessings of the new covenant by faith. Christ is sovereign. And the new covenant has better promises compared to the old. Thus, we believe that Christ is the anchor of our souls. Christ is the high priest in the tabernacle in heaven. He sacrificed himself once and for all. Take note, once and for all, therefore, what? We don't look to those sacrifices anymore. And you know, that's what happened to these Jewish people who, who committed apostasy, left the community, and went back to their Jewish community and denied Christ because they were convinced about the necessity of the ceremonial law. Hebrews was written somewhere early to mid-A.D. Uh, 60s, perhaps 63 to 65. You know what happened in A.D. 70? A.D. 70, God took away their security, which was what? The temple was destroyed. And until today, from that time on, A.D. 70, 
The Jews wandered around the earth. Well, even before that, they were wandering around the earth. But now they lost their center of worship. The temple where, who was, that's also a replica of the tabernacle. You see, there was a tabernacle and they created a replica which was a temple. And that was destroyed. They were seeking security, but they lost it. The anchor to our souls is not some religion. This is not people, certainly not me, not your friends here. Don't come because of your friends. Come because we are hungry for God's word. Christ is the high priest in the tabernacle in heaven. He sacrificed himself once and for all. Thus, we look only to him who is perfect and sinless. Moreover, we prefer the blessings of the new covenant. And what is the greatest blessing of the new covenant? He forgives us our sins and remembers them no more. Oh, wow. We are guilty. Every sin you committed puts you in the guilty column. And we're all there. Every human is there. But in his mercy, well, not all humankind will be saved from eternal punishment. Some will receive mercy and grace. The others will receive justice. Let us believe in the mediator, Christ of the new covenant. And there is forgiveness of sins there. And lastly, let us exalt the sovereign Lord. It was mentioned that he sits at the right hand on the throne. Exalt Christ above all earthly men and women. He is sinless and he is exalted above the heavens. Humans are imperfect. Religious leaders are imperfect. Thus, we look to Christ alone, not to humans. Now, let me clarify. Now, there are people who inspire us. And it is good to be inspired. It is good to be inspired by them. It's good to follow them as they follow Christ. But they are never the anchor of our souls. There's a difference. How would you know if, if they are now, you made people the anchor of your souls? Well, when you say, Oh, you know what happened to this guy? I thought he was faithful in church, but he was sinning. Oh, I don't want to go to church anymore. I don't want to study the Bible anymore. Uh, then you're making that person your anchor. Because what happened to him affects you. It affects you. Nothing should affect us because our focus and anchor is Christ himself. Now, I have followed a lot of good men and women. Well, they're only good because of Christ. We're only good because of Christ. And I have been inspired in so many ways. But praise be to God. He taught me, God taught me to be careful not to put anyone in the pedestal. Only Christ is on the throne. Others are instruments and servants of God. And that's it. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So every pastor must have the confidence to say that. Follow me as I follow Christ. Even if you look into my private life, follow me as I follow Christ. You'll find I'm not perfect. 
But as I follow Christ, I should be an example to the flock. And that is a burden of every leader. That's why every leader needs protection of an eldership. Every leader needs a protection of some authority that he is accountable to. Because if that disappears, that's why if you look in the New Testament and in legit Christian churches, there's no one pastor ruling all. Those who practice that are always in danger. And that is the difference. When there was the Reformation, they did not believe that the Pope was infallible. Though it was a doctrine. All he says and teaches is infallible. Every doctrine he says is infallible. And there's that teaching. They taught the succession. The succession of what? Christ was succeeded by Peter. And Peter was succeeded by other bishops and popes. Well, really? So what happened in the Inquisition? Please go to your history. What happened in the Inquisition? Popes commanded the torture of those who were not Catholics. So is that a successor of Christ? Can you believe in that? Torture was applied. Being burned in oil was applied. I mean, please go to the history books, secular, not religious. And, but in the Philippines, they're covering that up. It's not being taught. It's not being taught. Why? They're trying to cover it so that there's validity to what? The succession principle. Oh, really? Christ alone. Christ alone. Just thumbs, me, thumbs up with me. Amen. Christ alone. Yeah. No one else. Not Brother Ed. Amen. Oh, if I teach you the scriptures, please follow the scriptures. And everything I teach here, please double check if I was right within context. If my application connects with the text. If it connects with the intent of the author based on the history and literature context. Please do. And I want us to be that. So even if I die one day, which I will, hopefully not soon. But whoever comes next and next and next. You will not put anybody in the pedestal. You will check them. Because we must remain faithful to the text. So we, who do we exalt? Christ. We exalt Christ. So if you see some of my imperfection, what do you do? You say, praise God, Christ is my foundation and not Brother Ed. Amen? If you see the imperfection of our chairman, Mr. Money there, if you see the imperfection, what do you do? Praise God. Your anchor is Christ, not him. If you see the imperfection of Brother Eddie, what do you do? You say, praise God, he's not my foundation, but Christ. But if you see a sin, you rebuke us. You have every right. Is that clear? If it's a sin, not what you think is a sin. Yung iba sa inyo, ginagawang kasalanan, hindi naman kasalanan. Yung malinaw lang. Malinaw ba yun? Yung malinaw lang na kasalanan, sinabi sa Biblia, kasalanan to. No? What you must not do is what? Be a gossip. What do you do? You confront the leader. He don't create circles. No, 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 no. I'm glad it is minimal here. 
nearly none. But if it comes in front of you, you know what to do. It's like using your thumb fingernail and squashing a garapata right in front of you. Kill it. You just, how do you kill it? Why are you saying that? Have you told them directly? Or you're so insecure, you're not so confident you can't tell directly. Why don't you tell them directly? Go ahead, rebuke them. Because if they're at sin, they want you to rebuke them. But if they don't want rebuke, oh boy, not good. Not good leader. Bad leader. What do you do with bad leader? We'll do membership classes on how to do it, okay? Oh yeah, it's in the Constitution. (laughs) You remove. If they don't teach according to context, what do you do? You fire them. Yeah, the board and the congregation can do that. But if they preach within context and it hits you hard, ow! Some people, when they're offended, they think they're right. You know, funny thing, the human emotion. Once you're offended, you think you're always right. Please be careful with that. As a Christian, if we are offended, doesn't mean we're right. Doesn't mean a human is right. Only scripture is right. No offend ako kaya dapat. Oh, brother. Oh, my. Sorry, napakamot ako. We exalt Christ alone. No one else. Are we imperfect? Yes, we are imperfect. So, only Christ. But do you listen to the rebuke of others according to Scripture? Yes. If it's according to Scripture. If it's not according to Scripture, we be careful. No, we are careful. That's why some of you think, why do I tolerate this? Because scripture is not that clear that calls that a sin. So I'm more liberal in some parts. But when scripture is clear on what is sin, I'm not liberal. I'm conservative. But if it is not, scripture is not clear with that, relax, chill, okay? Don't think the world's going to end tomorrow. Exalt Christ above all. When Christ is above all, praise the Lord. When Christ is above all in our hearts, praise God. Why do you serve Christ? Of course, humans motivated you. Those who are in Christ inspired us to serve. Praise God. But they're not the foundation. Christ said, so we don't do it for them. We do it for Christ. Amen. Let me read to you again a piece of literature called High priest in heaven. Through faith we're blessed and forgiven by Christ the high priest in heaven. He sacrificed himself for all, bridge the vast gap of Adam's fall. On the cross he endured the pain so that the lost would find a gain. The gain is the new covenant that saves from hellish punishment. Therefore, we repent of our sins. Then our journey in him begins. No longer bothered by the old. Now the new we cherish 
and whole. Let us all rise and let us pray. Lord, thank you. You are good and you are gracious. We exalt you, our great high priest. You are king, priest, and prophet. You are the high priest in the heavenly tabernacle who died for us, who sacrificed once and for all. That's why we do not sacrifice again and again. We only look to the past. We look to what Christ has done on the cross. He suffered and died for our sins. He resurrected, showing his victory over death. We look to him alone. Our great high priest, he ascended to heaven, now sits at the right hand, the highest authority. He is sovereign. Therefore, we believe in him and make him the anchor of our faith, the anchor of our souls. We thank you, O Lord. Bless our community of believers. Strengthen us spiritually. We acknowledge that we have weaknesses. And uh, we pray, Father, that we do not cross the line. We do not cross the line, Lord. But if ever we do, teach us to come humbly back to you, seeking for your forgiveness with a broken heart. Not with a stubborn heart, but with a broken heart. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit, may the Lord protect you from all diseases. May the Lord unite your families under Christ. Amen. God bless you, congregation. See you next week. We have proclaimed. So see you later at 2.